0: Hey there I'm Vicki Howell and this is Craftish. This episode is sponsored by Kitterly, carefully curated knitting and crochet kits to make anything. Kitterly makes crafting easier by doing the hard work that goes into finding the right supplies for that perfect project so you can just pick up and start stitching. They have everything from simple scarves to advanced colorwork garments designed by some of your favorite designers. If you're looking for some instant gratification, then you can nab one from my collection of Lunch Hour Knit Kits. Or, if you're ready for a little bit of crafty commitment, you can choose any one of their number of gorgeous shawls that they have available. Or maybe you don't want to have to make a decision at all. In that case, they've still got you covered. You can join their kit club so that you can get a new yarny treat every month. Check out all of those options on their website at kitterly.com. If I had to pick one knitwear designer who I want to be when I grow up, it would be this week's guest, the iconic Erica Knight. Erica's simple chic style has just the right amount of cool infused in it to seem edgy without going overboard so it never feels dated. She's written over 20 books, worked on design and fashion forecasting for a range of top brands and has her own yarn label with a mission to support British manufacturing. I first met Erica when she was a guest on the first season of a show I used to host called Nitty Gritty for the DIY Network. But since then, I try to catch up with her whenever I can when she's stateside and we happen to be at the same event. And I'm so delighted that I got to chat with her recently for this show. Erica Knight it is such a thrill to have you on Craftish. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here.
1: Pleasure's all mine, Vicky. It's love to chat with an old mate.
0: I wanted to dive right in to color with you. Your latest book, Simple Color Knitting, um, deals with color, obviously, from the title. And I want to talk a lot about what I believe is your signature when it comes to color. But first, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind reading that last paragraph of the introduction from that book.
1: I certainly will. We must hold on to our individuality through our creative endeavors, most especially our hand knits. Key to this is the handcrafted. A craft that comes from the hand is, for me, the greatest form of creativity. Honest, authentic, and personal. Show your true colors. Add color to your knitting. Uh, it's, well, heartfelt. You feel the same. Don't we all feel the same? Absolutely, but I think that you've given sort of a license
0: um I'm finding again and again that a lot of times, because we're in a place where people feel like their creativity is squelched, that those small phrases of permission given by leaders, experts, whatever you want to call, you know, people in the industry that that other people look up to, um, is something that's really necessary. And I wanted to talk about the the thing that really stood out. In that paragraph, to me, is the honest, authentic, and personal touches. Yeah. Um, mm. And and for me, you're you're kind of my spirit animal when it comes to both color <laughs> and design. But with your color, <laughs> with your colors, because you do you do do some neutrals, um, but because of the blacks and the whites and the grays, and then the strong pops of magenta and pink and red that I've seen over years you know decades of books i wondered if grow if i was thinking about and correct me if i'm wrong the sort of impetus of your career would have been around the time of sort of the like british punk um emergence and sort of at the end well right in the middle of john lennon going out on his own so when i think of john lennon and his movement i think of nice neutral colors when i think of sid vicious Mm. and sex pistols and the cult i think of blacks and whites and reds and pinks and i wondered Mm. if that that period of time both culturally and uh, musically, well, and not just both, but also politically. I wonder if that laid any groundwork, if that kicked yeah. off your what would be a career of of color in that same realm.
1: I I think it's um, I I love the way you've actually sort of put that, Vicki, because I think with all creativity, it's not just in isolation; it's not just about. What sort of genre of creativity we do? It's um, for me. It's always about scooping up what's around you. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I was at art school um, during that time, and the one thing I knew was the world wasn't waiting for a fairly mediocre painter. <laughs> Um, but what was fantastic was, I studied painting. Um, it was very Bomberg type of school. Um, you know, it's all about color and expressionism. And there I was, you know, doing um, silk screens with sixty-four colors and not going over the edges. And got little uh, sharp pens and making it very influenced by that fabulous Frank Stella. And you know, wow, color and fantastic. And then, you know, I thought, I am a person who goes over the edges. <laughs> I've got to get messy again. Right. And then I went back to basics and um, Robert Ryman, again, you know, it was all about whites and a million shades of whites and uh, texture. And so I've always, I, well, I'm, maybe I'm just a true Gemini. I'm color on one hand and... You know the simplicity and tones of a of a color. On the other hand, what's fant what was fantastic is, um, I you know surrounded by fashion and we clubbed seven nights a week and we worked seven days a week, and uh, you could bowl into the fashion studio, you could bowl into sculpture, and yeah, you know I I knitted. And, yeah, it was Johnny Rotten and it was craft work, um, mm. which I think should be my signature. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of think that it should. You
0: should license but, that.
1: But, um, yeah, I you know, I just knitted for friends and they couldn't knit. So I interpreted their collections and made some knits and threw it down the runway to, you know, the sounds about my generation, I guess. And um,
0: so you were making, you were creating knit pieces for people in bands?
1: Um, We did do um, knit pieces for people in bands. I'm at college. When I was at college, yes, it would be for friends and would be up and coming designers, which um, there have been many. But certainly even during the 80s with um, Band-Aid, um, i think um, i can i can still uh, stop the video and and look in the background and about two or three of them are wearing our sweaters oh, so wow. you know that was quite a thrill as well you know and boy george and everybody um, were during those heady times of the 80s yeah but it was it was i think every I'm a shallow person, as you know, Vicky, I'm all style over substance. And, <laughs> you know, I've embraced every youth culture from, you know, mod to punk to new romantic. Um, and I I think music is, you know, the music we all knit to, it's all a soundtrack to our creativity. Um, but th- it will out, I, I think you've absolutely encapsulated it. It's, This is just one expression of the things we do. We all know that we want to sew and uh, quilt and stab stitch and, you know, every, you know, now I'm, you know, and we knit and we crochet and I want to, you know, darn and we all want to do everything. There's just not enough time and that's what fuels our creativity. You know, now we've got Pinterest and Instagrams and podcasts and, You know, how we can access everything um, is just overwhelming. But you know what? Getting back to it seriously, creativity will out. I was possibly like you. We've come to this from many different angles. And what we do know is that, you know, you've got to be creative in your day. Um, I've been very fortunate in my career that opportunities have led me to some amazing things. Um, meeting amazing people and doing fantastic things. And I've been, you know, I've been very lucky, but a lot of people haven't had those things. They've been maybe stuck in a job they don't like. As you say, you know, sort of in a, you know, creatively it's sort of sterile environments and it will out. So it won't matter at what time in your life or at what time in the day. You have to have that expression, you know, and books, I started doing books. They were my evening job. And when was that?
0: When so you're in college, you're clubbing every night. What kind of clubs are you going? Is are the are we talking about punk clubs? Oh, we're not we're not moving on. We're not moving on to your fancy books yet, lady. (laughs) Well, I mean, what what were you into? Paint that picture of that time for me, because for me. The 80s are kind of a void for knitwear here. I mean, they weren't. There was a lot of mohair, of course, like the Cats, yeah. the musical. My daughter just recently last year wanted to be one of the cats from the original, you know, I UK you know, production. But... Really, when you think about knitwear, it was – and I think a lot of it had to do with sort of that second wave of feminism and, and what was thought of as, uh, you know, quote-unquote women's work, kind of being thrown to the wayside kind of thing. There was sort of a dry period for, for a lot of handicrafts. And so I don't have as clear of a picture yeah, of I that guess... time of what it was like being immersed in that world. Did you feel yeah. that
1: at all? Um, I can't, I, uh, very often people have said, yeah, no, the 80s, you know, knitwear sort of dipped, um, and yes, certainly there was a pletherer of uh, mohair, that's for sure, Um and it was shoulder pads. I can knit you a great pair of shoulder pads, really? you know, as well, you know, um, and leg warmers, of course. That was that was the go-to accessory. I we mean, that's still efforts. a solid accessory. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and but the eighties, no, I found very cre- creative. On the one hand, you know, we've got, you know, we were taking influence very much from Japanese designers and mm. deconstruct and putting outside seams on the knitwear, um, and then it was very highly patterned, taking. Um, inspirations from uh, designers like uh, painters like Vasarely to um, a fabulous place here called Leighton House um, when we had the fantastic French spinners of Ping Wan um, and Fildar um, and I think it was very ritzy it was very glamorous and I suppose in the context in America too it was very, you know, dynasty and Dallas so mm-hmm. yeah they were loud and out there club pieces. Um, so, yes, were you, so, were you wearing any of this stuff when you went out? Well, yeah, I and I haven't thought of this till now you've prompted me on this, <laughs> just now. Um, and we used to do a little clubby vest. I had, I. this sounds so bizarre, I had gone up, I mean, I started in this business through sheer enthusiasm and ignorance. I was, com- you know, like, you know, just not knowing anything. And I went up to Yorkshire in a little 2CV car and we filled it with this yarn. I remember there's a picture of me high up on this um, mountain of yarn. Now, this yarn was so cheap, but I was subs- – the colours were amazing. Brought them all back um, in this little 2CV. It was like a little cartoon, all yarns spilling out the mm-hmm. little windows and everything and rocking from side to side. And um, I made this little vest, this little clubby vest, and it had little turn-back sleeves, and it was laced with leather, thonging, and it became a little clubby piece. It was very underground. Was it sewn? No, it was knitted. Oh, wasn't it wasn't Knitted two little pieces, but we just turned back the edges and whipped it with leather and it had outside seams. And there was a fantastic brand here, a fantastic entrepreneur who sadly... Sadly gone now, but he dominated the fashion scene in the 80s here called Joseph Mm Attegui. And he was just amazing. And um, he bought them. And then people wanted more knits. And people like... He bought them for a shop? For his shop. So we we then made... uh, Then somebody wanted three. So I was madly knitting. And some of our listeners made... This might strike a chord. And then somebody wanted six oh, okay, I'm doing six more. So I'm not going clubbing tonight.
0: Right. When you say we, does that mean that you had sort of your own little street force?
1: Well, at one time, I had a very good friend of mine. Um, She'd been taught to knit in Germany uh, uh, at school. We don't teach it here now in school. Um, And they don't, sadly, know in Germany either. And she was fantastic. So she'd help me. And then we'd go clubbing. And then... um, it got too big, so I live on the south coast in the UK and I had about Ooh, i, I a about a thousand outworkers, a thousand cottage industry people knitting, um, and making ready to wear for shops all over the world. It's how room. did you find them? Now you did could put they, a call out on Ravelry absolutely. or on Twitter. Absolutely, but how? You put a call out. You can't even I text. Get sample knitters now. Fabulous people who come to me by Instagram and Twitter and everything. Then no, it was old mail. You know, we put a little ad in. But you know what? I learned my craft from going full circle to where you you were saying this creativity that was a it was for me, harnessing into the most amazing women that were, the 80s, yes, you're right, it was a very liberating women's thing. Women, we all know, we multi-craft, but, you know, it was a difference for them of maybe a few bits, a few pounds more in their wage. They couldn't always go out to work. There weren't the opportunities now. So, it was a form of then we've always known it was all the things we know now. It kept them calm. It gave them creativity. It gave them economy. It gave them socialization. Um, and I learned all the techniques of the trade through these wonderful women that given a different opportunity of time and industry and like Etsy and Ravelry, they would have captained industry. They were amazing. I've just mm. been this morning doing uh, relearning the invisible cast on method, and for those of you out there, I, I I was also saying for a friend this morning, don't do don't learn this while you're watching a really gripping episode of a new detective series like mm. we have on here, because I, I I ripped it out so many times. But I learned this um, method it's called the
0: invisible cast on
1: The invisible. I'm cast. look
0: it up because <laughs> I'm not sure and, I know it.
1: Oh, it's cool. It's so cool. And it's great for cottons and it's great for linens and sort of texture yarns. And um, it's something that was from the ready to wear industry. And um, it's, it's just a fantastic cast on. Um, but I learned that from a, one of my fabulous outworkers donkeys years ago. And how to mattress stitch and how to cut out something that had been done wrong, re-knit it to shape and then invisibly graft it back in. These women were amazing. It's an art form. It really an is. Art form. Honestly, it's couture. Yeah. It was couture. And that's what I love about knitting is the emulated couture. Um, and, uh, you know, we take it on and so many more people now, you know, it's just fantastic. And this personalizing it and everybody coming to it and having a different stance on it so uh when you went to
0: school did you were you did you go for fashion were you going for art and painting what when you know when you're enrolling when you're filling out that application what is what is in your mind at that you know what is teenage erica knight hoping to hoping to do
1: do you know what I? All, the one thing I always wanted to do was go to art school. I think it's weird, and when you get there, you think, "Oh God, yeah, this is what I've been waiting for." This is now. People now, I get it. You know why my family didn't understand me and why I thought I was adopted and left on a doorstep. <laughs> you know,
0: did you not? Try, did you? Were you drawing a lot as a kid?
1: I was always drawing, and they'd always say that around my where I sat was, you know, Erica's stuff. I think we're all probably like that, bits of this. And I can remember age six sewing classes on a um, Friday afternoon. And we had this gorgeous, lovely brown craft box with our names scrawled on it. And opening the lid and all these little bits. And I remember trading little bits of texture or gold lame with a friend. Just little scraps of stuff. And... You know, I'm sure we've it was all like got trading cards, cards of
0: notions and bits. Yeah, it was I a bit that. like that. that. You know,
1: um, you know, we all have you know gaming cards or whatever that we did. Yeah. But for me, it was little scraps of um, things. And but now, I suppose it's the same. We'll all pick up a stone on the beach. Why do we do that? We put it in a little dish by the side of the door and. We collect, I collect jam, you probably see in my studio, I collect jam jars, but they all get filled with little bits of colour, because I'm doing colour all the time, and uh, but, you know, even with that, I can never find the right tone of blue, or, it's just that magpie within us all, you know, of Mm -hmm. collecting the glittery, why do we go and buy more yarn, I think husbands all over the world will be saying the same. Why do they buy Moya? It's not because we need it. Of course, it's not. But it feeds and it mm-hmm. restores our soul. We have to possess this little glittery thing of beauty.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said about sort of the inner you that's awakened by unexpected things, whether it's something that you see or feel, if it's a soft pebble or if it's a sparkle a sparkly, you know, piece of lume, as you were saying, if you feel something, it doesn't even matter what it if it, if you've stopped and noticed that you're having some sort of awakening, I mean, it seems like yeah, it's worth people- keeping.
1: Because people always say, oh, I can't draw. Um, And I have so many friends um, in the industry say, oh, you know, I don't call myself as a designer because, you know, I've not trained. We're not, we're all trained. It's only about looking. It's just many of us look and we don't see you know and if you don't see you feel it so you don't you you don't have to like record it with a pencil Um, although I do maintain I can teach anybody to sort of draw or notate what they're trying to express but we do it through whether it be quilts or knitting or Um, assemblages collages um, whether it's dress designing on a dummy or out flat we'll find a way to express and that's what's so rich that's what keeps us constantly reinventing ourselves and reinventing work you know Um, so
0: that discovery is part of the training method
1: I think you can uh, I I mean, I did study painting, and I'm in, I'm fascinated by the creative process. You know, if if you sort of slice, you know, if you go like slice around your forehead and flip top your your, your the skin back and tip all the creative thoughts out you know you know it's like even in the yarn shop oh my gosh oh, yeah which shall I get or shall I get that hand dye or shall I get that two balls of the blue the millions and millions of little decisions that you make when you're knitting anything F- unfortunately for me if I if I do it straight on the needles I go oh you yeah, know no I'll cast uh, no I'll cast on you know 50 stitch no no I'll, I'll rip that out I'll, I'll cast on 60 oh no no I'll rip that out. I'll do a two and two rip oh no I'll do a um a um, a one row cast on in different color oh you know what no I'll do that <laughs> fair method or whatever so you know I find it really hard because all those millions of decisions yeah um it, do you your know. do your sketches help you through that
0: process or or are you more tactile do you do you I'm are you both. sketching at the same time that you're casting on or do you do one before the other what does that
1: look Uh, like all all yes all of the above all at the same time I'm a scattergun what I do do is going back to me doing 64 colors of a silk screen I have to go over the edges right um you know a lot of people say with my books oh yeah well I know I mean they are really simple they are really simple um but within it there's I hope a lot of Um, it's scooping back if you like it's a refinement to things so where I've gone over the edges or I always say to me it's like going round and running my basket like a little dog um, deliberating over this so I'll sketch out I'll have loads of swatches I'll have bits of colour put down lots of added bits and then it's a refinement it's um, I suppose less is more Mm -hmm. for an easier way of saying it so yeah, my process is lengthy <laughs> for those any any publisher listening to this. Apologies, you know, because um, I'm not known for. Although I've got a lot of books out there, they are painful, and they are um, a process. Books are Which, so painful. Knitting books are so painful nice.
0: to create. You yeah. know, that's really um, that's interesting for me to hear because I don't, I personally don't do well with giving myself the license to take time for anything i'm very deadline driven but it's my own personal deadlines and for me to take a solid even a day to think about one design seems frivolous which is obviously not the best (laughs) laid plan um
1: no i can i can understand that um I have, and like you, you're so prolific and so talented and, you, you know, it's, there's a rush of ideas and a lot to record and, um, and somebody said to me the other day, you know, do you still knit for pleasure? Because yeah. beware when your hobby becomes your career. You know, it's still trying to find things that you still enjoy. But for me, the creating process is—it is just fuels all the time. But yeah, I don't like um, deadlines. (laughs) And those again, who know me will know. I, you know, they go whizzing by. I am better, though, with the adrenaline rush at the end. I can do something with lots of time in store and it's never as good as if I'm doing it, staying up late and it's the last minute. I have to put myself on the edge Um, and then better things come. But that's just the way I work. Um, I'm in awe of people who, yes, spend a lot of time on, you know, one top-down project and it's engineered beautifully and executed and um, graded, 12 times and i think oh my gosh you know but for me if i had more time with design i would love to um do a runway show Mm. um i miss that um i miss that from doing ready to wear i would love to really get some great people together and um just yeah, give them a chance to do what they'd really like to do and, yeah, just uh, put it on forms. I think knitting, too, very often we think about it in a two-dimensional day 2 dimensional way. It can be done, you know, it can be just on the page. And it isn't, you know, it is very much a 3D. There's a, a back and the tops of sleeves and backs of necks. And, you know, for me, it's about fit and everything. So, right. yeah, it's a, a process.
0: You have a collaboration um, in a UK department store, John Lewis, and I was I was wondering, yeah. first of all, that's just something that probably at least at this day, at this point, would never happen in the US. Well, right now, having anything craft-related, although there are pop-up shops that are coming here and there, uh, I know Ed yeah. Roth just had one in Bloomingdale's, um, and... Josh Bendict had his own collection yeah, of, had of sweaters, yeah. but they weren't kits for people. To, that's, that's the big um, sort of surprise for me when I was looking into what you have going on right now is that you they actually are carrying patterns and supplies and yarn. Yeah. Is there yeah. more of an openness to, to DIY there? And also, did they do a fashion show, going back to what you just said? You have a book's worth of patterns on their site, did yeah. they ever do an internal fashion show in the store?
1: Um, in a, on, a, on a small scale, I think it's something we may run out. Um, um, John Lewis, um, uh, uh, hundreds of years old, you know, they are very well established and have always enjoyed a very good reputation. Um, so they approached us to do this collaboration. Their um, haberdashery department had always been um, a destination for uh, fabric and uh, for yarns and everything happy. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's very proactive of them to do this. Um, and the yarns, uh, we've got five yarns and two fantastic ones that we're launching with them this uh, September. And um, and the colours, yeah, we've, we've done some pretty out there colors one of our best-selling colors has been really bright yellow citrine um, and it's been really well received um yeah so in one way yeah it's uh, um proactive but um and i think um knitting is so popular and so much in the vernacular now that um, it's not only about ready-to-wear, it's ready-to-make and ready-to-wear now. Um, and people are willing to try, willing to give it another go. It's finally shaking off that sort of thrifty, um, homespun sort of, um, you know, guys that it's had. But And that was really post-40s, you know. Yeah, we're talking yeah. about, you know, and it's always galling to those of us that have been in the industry to have that leveled to us. So, the fact that... Um, Retail and the industry in a a really properly commercial way can embrace what um, us as crafters um, do, I think is exceptional. But, you know, part of my ethos really is, um, and I know it is um, for you, Vicky, too, um, is to um, make craft with a big C not a small C. Mm. So, the industry takes it seriously. The fashion industry in Italy is very different. It's like the car industry. It's it's taken seriously and it puts money in the country's pocket. You know, very often it's seen as women's craft and I always dedicate my books to Anonymous. She was a woman because we've all picked up that um, little thing in a thrift shop and You know, or you go around a ready-to-wear store with somebody, and oh, I can make that for less than that. And women especially can be their own worst enemies with this. So, it's something that we need to address at every level of what we do, because it is our industry, and we've been privileged to work in it. And, you know, yeah, I'm I'm really pleased that John Lewis have got behind this initiative. And um, yeah, it's brilliant. We're getting more shelf space, and uh, the patterns um, look really good, and people are giving it a go so
0: well i want to touch a little bit more on 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 a subject that i think i think that we're both sort of dancing around and that is the extreme ups and downs that that the knitwear industry has had over the past decade decade and a half we've had some really high times and some really low times and i think you and i have a very similar approach in that it seems to be for both of us that making craft accessible is paramount, is paramount rather um, that, and to do that, going too complex and too crazy is only going to feed a niche part of our existing community, rather than opening it up to those that may not have even dipped a toe in it yet. And so, if you're wanting to reach out to technology or wanting to reach out to the fashion industry or to the ready-to-wear, ready to the wear, which I love that you said mm. ready-to-wear, ready-to-make, mm. ready ready-to-make, ready-to-wear, it's a big cycle, mm. you have to start with simple shapes and simple techniques, but that doesn't mean that they have to... Simple doesn't need to be only beginners, and simple doesn't need mm. to be seen as lesser than for me i not only is it my message that anybody can do this but i also i appreciate very difficult techniques i don't always find the final result wearable
1: Um, Well, I suppose I should share one of my little motto, one of my little um, adages is, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, (laughs) And by that, I mean, just because, you know, you can put um, a lot of fantastic technique into a... Uh, swatch or a piece of textile, you can make it as complicated as you want. And let's face it, we're all control freaks um, who knit because not only can we ultimately design our own fabric, but we design our own colour, we design our own weight of fabric, but the yarn, we can control the yarn that goes into it. So if you even... Someone just working in um, uh, fabric has to go and select that fabric and wait and and know how that that will drape and how that will respond to whatever they apply to it or construct with it. We can actually go six stages before that. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. what I find endlessly fascinating. Um, I think, though... Yeah, I would agree with you. I think there's a lot of complexity in what we do and what we leave out. And I'm very much like you to bring people to this amazing myriad of craft, um, the knitting um, and crochet uh, embody, um, yarn crafts. Um, I don't like to put people off. I think there's a lot of things that can put people off. Um, and to be honest, it's an in, over, under, off It's Mm -hmm. a series of making loops. It's making a loop. They're making a series of loops to make a row. And they're making a series of rows. Um, The rest is all permutations of that. Um, And there's many variations on a back and a front and two sleeves. Um, And there's also making for for a body or for your home or for a gift or... Installation. So there is many ways of expressing that. Um, I think it's just great that people just give it a try because it's a. It becomes a compulsion. It becomes a lifestyle um, because the benefits of just this pro. I mean, to be honest, I love the process of knitting. Um, I always say to people, it's not a race. It's um, you know, it's n- the winning is not always the end result um You know, some people can create really fantastic textile. Um, sometimes it will take someone else to look at that and take it to the next stage to make a um, rationale of that as a, a good looking garment and that's something that can be relayed again, then, so a home knitter or a practitioner can make that. Um, uh, you know and i i think pat you know there's so much that goes into it you know the math the pattern checking the engineering the fit um all these things that we do did uh, you
0: refine over the years what your you know quote unquote simple style was it, was it just something that was always inherent were you always into sort of clean Classically Modern Shapes. Because even... I'm looking at a couple of your books right now. I have Classic Knits and Glamour Knits, which I believe came out at okay. the exact same time. They were companion books almost. Two yeah, Sides of right. a Coin. That's right. But the Glamour... Whenever I think Glamour versus Classic, I f- I see, for whatever reason, like nautical boat neck sweaters on one side and then Bob Fosse sequins on the other yeah. side. And for your for your versions, you... You went a lot more subtle in interpretation, for, so that both, still years later, even though they're classified as different, still are on trends, which still, I guess, by definition, makes them back to classic. Is yeah, that something I, that evolved? Is that just? Is this just your I style? I
1: think it's just always. Uh, it's always been me. Um, it's. Um, it's. It. It took other people to. Possibly uh, point it out to me. I think Stephen Sheard at, at Rowan. I remember him in. Uh, we were doing some fashion thing together, and he introduced. And I thought, oh, does that how he sees me? You know. Um, but yeah, it's all. It's it's just always been um, a style. But yeah, I think whatever. I mean, the classics and glamour we've just revisited, um, and we're reissuing uh, because um, there had seem to be a need. Yeah, for me, classics, whether they be, as you say, a boat neck, sort of bateau sweater, or um, something with a bit of spangle or sparkle. Is that um, what
0: makes it glamour, is adding just a little bit of sparkle?
1: No, I think it's adding maybe a different sort of neckline or a different proportion to a sleeve. Um, But nowadays, we wear, we will wear something like that, it's much more about individual style mm. you know um, I think I love pairing something with a bit of sparkle with you know um, like a, a jean or a chino I mean I think we all do that I think that cross messaging is is what makes everybody's personal style It's so what I love is that you could give people um, of different ages or um, just uh, different sizes or what have you you could give them the same piece and they'll interpret it very differently that's what I like to give people a recipe for making something that fits their life to me that's classic it's classic for them your
0: interpretation of fiber I believe was at a pioneer level in 2004 I think it was 2004 when we met you came on to a show I was hosting in the U.S. called Nitty Gritty
1: fantastic show
0: and you brought with you plastic bags. They were really bright. They were pink and green. And showed us how to knit with them, which now is like, now everybody does it. But I don't know that anybody realizes in the States that you started that. And I, it kind of blew my mind. I was still relatively new to knitting at that point. Um, but what it did is it made me stop, step back, and see... Something for what it was, or what I had always done, as I had, I had considered string or thread or Mm -hmm. yarn or anything pre-made, you know, a no-brainer to creating things. But you really sort of gave me the license to look at alternative supplies, and I wanted to know if you are still sort of looking that far out of the box, trying to see if there are other things that you can bring into your craft, into your passion, that maybe aren't
1: traditional? Uh, Well, I think it's endlessly fascinating. I think um, the fact that you just have two sticks, very low-tech, and any continuous fiber that you can create a textile. I think it's very primeval. I think men, uh, the hunter-gatherer type of thing, would have constructed a textile to fish with, to snare um, an animal or a bird, um, women would construct um, a textile to give nurture and comfort and warmth. Um, and I think everything else, I, I think it's as instinctive as that. Um, I very, I, I used to do a um, beach combing uh, thing. Um, with some students and we especially I live on the coast here in Brighton it's it's very different to where you guys are but um, and we have a lot of driftwood and we have a lot of stuff comes up but you know we'd often be able to find two sticks and then we'd scavenge for bits of seaweed bits of uh, there'd always be bits of rope in worn beautiful distressed blues and oranges that have come adrift or fibre and just knot it all together and literally I would teach people to do the knits, you know, to make a loop. In, over, under, off. And I th- I and I I think um, I watch we have a programme here that we have this amazing guy, Bear Grills. I don't mm-hmm. know if you have him yet. Mm-hmm. Do. Um and we have the island and that. And I'm always like shouting at the TV. Now, if you could crochet. Bear Grylls is a survivalist kind of guy. If just, you could crochet, you would be able to fish and trap an animal and you would be able to have shelter. So my my um, one of my raison d'etre is to teach Bear Grylls to knit and crochet. I
0: feel like you could make that happen. I tell people I was just teaching an online course for um, Creative Live. And, um, you know, at the end of it, I just sort of laid, I can't remember if it was knitting or crochet. I kind of laid, it was crochet. I laid my hook down. And I said, and now you have a post apocalyptic life skill.
1: <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> it's, it's true. So true. Yeah. It's so true. You know,
0: I-, I wanted to touch on something that uh, you spoke a, a little bit about your own childhood and about how maybe creativity wasn't nurtured or or if not nurtured it just you felt a little bit isolated in your creativity you are also a mother um did did you raise your daughter in a different manner did you nurture the creativity from minute one
1: i guess i did probably like you i think it it just comes through the fluid doesn't it it just comes through the dna um i is a quite a well-known story now I was called into her Montessori class she was only been about three I guess and they said oh we want to speak to you so I was a little you know a little bit trepidation and they said oh you know we found that Bella has this um quite innate uh way with color and I sort of thought you yeah, know smug yeah <laughs> <laughs> well of course maybe, she does. Maybe. Well, of <laughs> course, you know. and uh you know and they said, yes, she calls um, red scarlet and uh, orange so mango. Um, and then when they got to the blue, she calls it Turkish blue. And I said, ah, now that would be the Rowan hand knit cotton <laughs> <fate> card. <laughs> so uh, I would always be getting her to fetch me. <laughs> yes fetch me the yes. turkish blue so um yes. as an adult uh,
0: as a mother of an adult who now works with you yeah. do you still do you still trade creativity in that way is she still um do you still have sort of that almost sounds like a kind of your own private language of creativity
1: yeah i would guess so uh, bella is much more um academic in the arts, uh, uh she was at Courtauld, uh, um, doing art history, um, and she writes so brilliantly, and her, but, but how she views the creative spirit, uh, she, she just really gets to the, the literary, the nitty-gritty of it, and I find that quite exceptional, um, but yeah, we have a pairing. Yeah, there is a language between us. I think certainly on design, we know. And she edits. She she is very good at editing me, which is great because no one else no, no one else done right. No else like so you know that that's been invaluable.
0: Hey, good job at making your best asset. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of making things, yes. Yeah. I wanted to just wrap up with another just sort of mention of color. You also mention in your book, Simple Color Knitting, you say something um, about what color means. And you say, color evokes emotion. Color affects our senses. Color is a gauge of our mood. Color conjures memories. Color is simple. What What is the one thing that you hope through your book and through your Yarn lines that y- that people take away from your palette and for what from your signature and from your message?
1: Well, I, I think colour is within us and I don't know why people they, they I often get that they oh I'm not confident with colour, I can't put colour together. And as I said, I think it goes back to it's all about looking and really looking. Um, I've worked with colour palettes all my life and it's it's the real absolute essence of joy with what I do. It's, um, you know, I try and select my colours now that I'm able to do my own yarns, my own palettes, so that people hopefully gain some confidence that they can use my yarns and, and the colours I've chosen and they will get a result that's pleasing, that they can pick from mine, f- literally with their eyes cut, f- f- eyes shut, five colours that will work together and then or they can go with the neutrals like you say and then introduce a pop of colour in it that's very them and hey that will work, you know so I've just tried very small devices within it that give very simple exercises of, I mean one of my favourite things at the moment and I've, I do a big swatch gallery type of thing in the in this new book is um, and it's uh, slip stitching. And it's great slip stitching. You know, I, I was a bit fearful doing um, a book on colour because everybody would assume or presume, oh, it's going to be Fair Isle and, you know, Intarsio and it's going to be really scary. No, 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 no. This is starting from the very basic. It's actually putting um, a really big purple rug on a bright yellow chair, um, you know, it's opposites, looking at opposites and creating some fashionable vibrancy in your in your room or, you know, or putting that scarf on, you know, a new sweater on, on top of a new shirt um, and then just maybe using two yarns, which you wouldn't think of using those colours together and knit them as one. But one of my favourites is slip stitching and you can just take three colours any three colours and you think, well that's pr- going to be pretty tame, but just slip stitching, it's no carrying yarn, it's, it's brilliant. And you think, oh, that looks good. And then you just take another three colours and you just see that how colours recede or they stand out. Um, and so it's a very simple little exercise of just working with colour. Um, and I love it. And I love doing little workshops in it of just seeing how people, and they always work in the colours there. That they are, they what they wear, what they've chosen—the colors day. they call home. Yes. Yeah, they're lovely. Saying colors they call home. Yeah. Absolutely. You couldn't have said it better for me.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Erica. This has been just just lovely. You know how much I dig you, kid.
1: Uh, well, it's mutual. Come over for tea.
0: <sighs> yes, please. <laughs> bye bye. Erica Knight's yarn designs and books can be found on her website. For more info, links, a peek at her current collection, and some great photos of her stuff from the 80s, including one of her sweaters worn by the boy George himself, please check out this episode's show notes page at vickihowellcom craftish. You may have noticed that our intro and outro music is different this week. Normally, we use some purchased stock theme music, which has worked perfectly fine, but it is not nearly as awesome as what we have for you today. You can hear it in the background right now, and I'm so excited to announce that our music is now provided by the world-famous instrumental indie rock band, Explosions in the Sky. You may be familiar with their music from soundtracks of movies and TV shows like Friday Night Lights, Prince Avalanche, Horn. they've done a ton of commercials, and, you know, a quadrillion awesome albums, all of which, in my humble opinion, transcend their genre. The track we're using, although I could argue should be called craftish from this day forward, is actually called The Ecstatics, and it's off their current album, The Wilderness. Explosions in the Sky is on tour right now. This week they're in Belgium, then Paris, Portugal, and Norway, but they're coming back to the States later this summer. If you have the opportunity to see them, no matter where you are in the world, nab the tickets and do so. You won't be disappointed. Craftish is produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. As always, we truly appreciate you helping us spread the word about this podcast by sharing, commenting, and reviewing the show wherever you happen to listen to it. Tune into the next episode of Craftish with my guest singer, musician, and radio DJ, Elizabeth McQueen. That'll go live on Tuesday. Until next time, don't forget to take time to be creative, breathe in, craft out.